Fairfax, just want to keep you up to date on some of the things that are happening this weekend. As you look forward to Halloween, we are super excited that Fairfax Kids is putting on our annual trunk or treat. If you would like to get involved or host the trunk or just drop off some candy, you can visit our website for more information. Fairfax, we love how incredibly talented and gifted each and every one of you is. There is an opportunity for you guys to serve on the worship team. We are currently looking for electric and acoustic guitar players. So if you know someone, if you are someone, we would love to have you with us. If you're interested in serving, you can fill out the form to audition on our website at fairfax.cc slash worship. Fairfax, through your generosity, our resource center has become a place that is just supporting so many groups in our local community. It is a growing community of volunteers, and we want you to join the team. Right now, we have teams that are supporting our Afghan refugees, teen moms, and teachers in the area. If you're interested in joining this, you can always check out VOMO or our website for more information. Okay, Fairfax, that is all we have for you this week. So we'll catch you at Trunk or Treat, playing electric and acoustic guitar on the stage and on VOMO. Josh has an amazing message for us. So we'll see you later. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So good to see you guys. So they need some guitar players. So I'm uh, actually, this will be my last time preaching because... I know you guys don't know, I'm a really great guitar player. No, I'm terrible. I took lessons once when I was 11. I was like, ah, oh, my fingers hurt. I can't do this. So anyway, uh, <laughs> um, hey, everyone. So yeah, I'm Josh. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, those of you here that are watching online, welcome in. If you are new here, welcome to the church. We are so glad to have you here. Um, and I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And before we jump in today, I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of you who give generously to this place. There are so many things that God is doing um, in this community, in this city, around the world, and all of us as a church get to be a part of this. We are just one expression of, of what God is doing in the world, but um, because of your generosity, we all together get to partner in God's redeeming and restoring work in the world, and we get to do that together as a church. So thank you, thank you so much. For those of you who give, if you'd like to give as an active worship today, you can give online, you can give um, text to give, or you can do it through the boxes in the back. And thanks again for that. So we are in week six of our series called Journey to Freedom. And in this series, we're looking at the book of Exodus and the story of Moses, the freeing of the nation of Israel from centuries of slavery and this series is all about how our God is a liberator, that God has the power to set us free from things that can keep us from living the kind of life he has created us to live. It's about how God wants to see us flourish, to see us thrive, how he wants to set us free from anything that would enslave us so that we can be a part of his redeeming and restoring work in the world. And today we're picking up in Exodus chapter 19, which is in like, it's like this middle transition point. And if you watch shows, you know, there's like seasons, like one through 18 is season one, okay? We're like going into season two. And um, so it's a pivotal point in the book of Exodus. And before we jump into that, I want to just review real quick kind of the story so far. So back in Genesis, God created the world. You're like, oh, okay, he's going way back. Okay, got it. So 
Back in Genesis, God created the world and Adam and Eve in the garden. Humanity was in God's presence. They had this close relationship with him. And then humanity rebels and sin enters the world and it fractures the relationship with God and access to his presence is lost. Then God makes a promise to restore the world through Abraham's family. And this promise is passed down through Abraham's son, Isaac, and then through his grandson, Jacob. And then Jacob, he had 12 sons that eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons is named Joseph, and um, his brothers didn't like him very much because he had this like cool coat and all that stuff. And they put him in a pit, okay? And long story short, he ended up in Egypt and um, not like as a slave, but he ended up becoming like the prime minister of Egypt, okay? And then, um, so Joseph's now in control kind of thing a little bit. And then there's this famine in the region. And basically, Joseph sends like an email to the, to the brothers like, hey, we got food over here in Egypt, you know? It wasn't an email, but you know, um, his brothers show up. And so they're like, okay, there's food, great. So then um, all of Abraham's like great, great grandchildren are now in Egypt, okay? And now Abraham's family has become a nation inside of Egypt. And these Hebrews that are there, right? This Abraham's family, they're multiplying like crazy. Like, and so the Egyptians, eventually they feel threatened. These Hebrews are starting to outnumber us. What do we do? Pharaoh's like, all right, we'll just enslave them, okay? That'll, that'll stop them. So what happens? They enslave the Hebrews in Egypt, and they were slaves for 400 years. Generation after generation, they were enslaved. And each imagine each generation remembering the story of how God is going to save the world through this nation. Imagine, you know, they're telling the kids, hey, hey, so you know, God's gonna save the world. There's this awesome redemptive plan and we get to be a part of this. And the kids are like, um, you know, like, so we're slaves right now. You know what's going on? Like, you know, and so the parents are like, no, no, like it's happening, okay? Like, stop asking questions. And so for 400 years, and it brings us to what we've looked at the past five weeks, if you've been able to be, been able to be a part of it. Um, if you haven't, feel free to go back. You can find all the previous messages online. They're awesome. But basically, Moses comes onto the scene, comes to the Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, no way. God is like, yes way. Watch this, you know? And Egypt's economy is wrecked, and Pharaoh's like thrown, and you know, all this stuff, and um, the series of plagues, and, and God frees the nation of Israel. Now we're in chapter 19. Read with me. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai after they set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So in other words, a few weeks later, the Israelites are in the middle of nowhere. They find themselves at the foot of this mountain, Mount Sinai. The only thing the Israelites have known for generations is slavery. All they know about living as a society is in the context of slavery. They don't have the slightest idea of how to live in freedom, right? All they've known in life is how they lived as slaves. They have no idea how to live 
this life of freedom. And it's here at Mount Sinai that God gives Israel the first set of laws, which you may know is the 10 Commandments. And whether you've grown up in church or not, you've probably heard about the 10 Commandments. You might know, you might not know that they're in Exodus 20. And these 10 Commandments point to um, many things that I think people, both inside and outside the church, they associate with faith or religion which is like this list of rules. Whether you think of Islam or Judaism or Buddhism or whatever, there just seems to be this connection somehow to rules and conditions or some way you're supposed to live. And even inside Christianity, it can be confusing what people might think or whatever because you have, you know, the Catholics have this kind of, you know, law or rules or way you're supposed to do things. You have like Presbyterians, you have Baptists, and there's like these Christians over here, like they need some rules. Like I don't know what's going on there, you know? You're just like, what's, what? I don't even know, I'm confused, you know? And so the point is, is there is this common tension for many of how we see connection with God. And sometimes it can just, we can just kind of boil it down to, it's just about obeying, keeping the list of the rules. Like, that's the most important thing. In order to receive God's blessing, in order for God to love me, I have to check all of these boxes. We can view our connection with God like joining a club. Like, uh, think of like a fraternity or a sorority or um, even a job. A job's not a club, but it kind of works a similar way. There's some kind of contract or some kind of list of rules and expectations that you're supposed to like agree to. And then if you do, You can enter into relationship. You can join a club. You can have the job, whatever. But you've got to uphold to that list because if you don't, you know, you're out, okay? That's what a contract is. And the only way you have a relationship is because up front, you've got the rules and you're like, I'm gonna live up to that. I'm gonna follow through on that. So maybe you think that's how God is. That God's like, hey, here's my standards. You've got to check all these boxes in order for me to love you, in order for me to accept you. Or maybe you think it's um, rules and laws, like there's no relevance to that anymore. That's all old stuff. Um, that's a thing of the past. God's this God of love. And he's going to love me no matter what, which subconsciously kind of means I can basically do whatever I want and I can define God how I want. I can fit God into my life however I want to, however it's best for me. Or this last one, maybe this is kind of, you know, maybe unusual, but for some of you, you're like, that's how I see God. Like a homeowner's association. I don't own a home, but I've heard horror stories, right? <laughs> like you're in the, like you, you own a house in the neighborhood, right? They can't get rid of you, but they can make you feel really bad, right? Nasty email, nasty note, whatever. That pool that's above ground, that's ugly. Get it out of here. That mailbox, are you kidding me? You know, that fence is an inch too high, whatever. So, and, and, and so, you know, they make you feel bad and you're like, oh, I'm so, I feel so shameful and guilty. They just make me feel bad all the time, but they're stuck with me and I'm stuck with them. And maybe you feel like that's God. Like, you're like, well, God, you know, he's knocking on me. He's knocking my shoulder. Like, man, hey, you failed again, buddy. You know, like messed up, okay? And, you know, feel like God's sending you nasty emails, you know? And, but God's like, I'm stuck with you. You're my child, okay? I'm stuck with you. And so, Maybe that's how you see God deep down. And the thing is, is that we all wrestle with this question. 
how does the way that I live line up with God? Does that matter? What does God expect of me? When am I in? When am I out? What is the deal with these rules and God's law and following Jesus? What's the whole point of it all? That's what we're gonna look at today. But first, first point is we're gonna talk about something that God's law is not. So in verse three, basically it's Moses going up the mountain, okay? And then I'm gonna pick up in verse four. Verse four says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And then we're gonna jump real quick to the next chapter. The next chapter, chapter 20, has the, the 10 commandments in it, but all we're gonna look at is verse two because it's the prelude to the 10 commandments. God says, before any commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He said, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is amazing. Before God says anything about commandments, about keeping any laws, about living a certain way, he makes it clear what the law is not. He says to the nation of Israel, you are my people, even though you haven't done a thing to deserve it. And you now get to live this life of freedom that you did nothing to contribute to having it. He says, I carried you. When you were helpless and in chains, in your darkest moment, I set you free. Notice he doesn't give the Israelites the law. This had to live life guide before rescue them before rescuing them. It wasn't, hey, if you guys check all these boxes and you do good and all that stuff, then maybe I'll think about saving you or getting out of this horrible situation. Maybe then I'll love you. No, God's saying, I, you don't have to do anything. I want you to know that I am yours and you are mine. I want you to know that when you're in the midst of your loneliest moment, when you are helpless, when you feel helpless, when you feel powerless, when you feel like you're enslaved to something that you cannot escape, when you feel oppressed, I am yours and you are mine. I came to rescue you. I carried you on eagle's wings. I have delivered you. So you know what God's law is not? It is not conditional to be in relationship with God. But what it is, is it's confirmation of being in relationship with him. Sometimes all of us um, subconsciously, we can fall into this idea like we were talking about that, man, I just, I just want God to bless me. And maybe, and maybe that means just living the right life, living the right way. And that if I'm not receiving that, then it's because I'm doing something wrong and I need to be better. I have to live a certain way, to check all these boxes, and that's how we can view our relationship with God, like this club, like a job, like this thing that we have to do or we're out. But the laws and rules that God gives the Israelites were not a condition for them being delivered from slavery, but were given because he already had a relationship with them. Real quick, think of it like this. Born into a family. That means you're a part of the family. And then your parents start making rules and they didn't make rules to make you a part of the family. It's not, hey, you know, buddy, John, my son, whatever, you know. 
It doesn't say, you can be a part of this family if you check all these boxes, but as soon as you miss one, you're out. No, that's not how it works. You're born into a family, and then these rules um, apply to you because you're in the family. Your parents don't set the rules for the neighbor's kids, at least they shouldn't be. You're not calling up your neighbor and saying, hey, did Sarah have candy for breakfast again? Because that's against the rules here, whatever. You know, you're not doing that. You're only doing that for your own kids. And as a kid, you could choose to break the rules and disobey, but in a healthy family, your parents, they wouldn't have a relationship with you no matter what. They put these rules in place out of love for you because they wanna see you thrive. And when your kid may be playing in the street, it seems like a great idea eating candy for breakfast, but parents say, no, that's not a great idea. I'm gonna show you a better way because I love you. So the first important thing to note is that God's law is given in the context of relationship. And through obedience to his law, he is inviting the Israelites to reciprocate to be in relationship with him. That's number one. Number two, here we go. We're gonna keep reading. Um, in chapter 19. So remember, he says, I carried you on eagle's wings. I brought you out of slavery, even though you did nothing to deserve it. And now in verse five, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Says the purpose of obeying and keeping my covenant, the law, is that you'll be my treasured possession, a kingdom of of priests, a holy nation. Now we can't get all into all of this, but a couple of things I wanna point out in this text. It points to how God's law connects to us living out this freedom that he has freed us up to live. God says the purpose of the law is to make you a holy nation, to shape you and form you into this radical new community. Ancient cities at this time were built around a hill or a mountain, and they would put this religious temple on top. And if there was no natural mountain around, they would build one, and it would look like a pyramid-type structure. It was called a ziggurat. It was this man-made mountain. But whether it was a natural mountain or a man-made mountain, the reason the city was built around it was for the same reason. The purpose was to have this high point where you could climb and go up and make an offering to God so that God would bless you. So you could go up the mountain and say, look what I've done. Look how successful I am. Look how good of a person I am. Bless me. And so many ancient cities, if you are familiar with you know, history or anything, they're built around this pursuit of blessing, around this idea of I need to prove myself. I need to make myself worthy. And as we read, we know the Israelites have gathered around this, this Mount Sinai. And God says, I'm gonna make you a holy nation. But right away, there is a totally distinct difference here, isn't there? And this different nation will not be about seeking the approval of God like all these other, all these other nations, all these other cities are built around these mountains so that they can be best positioned to, receive, to earn God's approval. But God says, yeah, you're at the base of this mountain, but it's, it's different. He says, because this is God's city. God's city is about 
a God who comes down and saves and loves people who don't deserve it. God says a society built around this mountain is going to be completely different. The word holy means set apart. This holy nation is a radically different society. And when you're a part of this holy nation, you understand that you are saved by grace, not by how good you can be. You know that you've already been delivered. Unlike the cities around them at the time, this one is built around, yeah, you don't have to prove yourself. Because when you enter this city, you are already accepted. In this radically different community, it isn't about how you can use the things and the people around you to make yourself great. But in this city, it's about how can I take what I have to build someone else up, to glorify God. God says, if you follow me, if you trust me, you will be a holy nation. That means every part of your life, your relationships, how you handle money, how you view your job, how you view sex, everything changes. And Otto also notice that he doesn't say, you guys as individuals will be a holy nation. He doesn't say you'll each be a holy person. He says, you will be a nation, a kingdom that together, when you, when you live together, will be completely different. We'll live by completely different standards. These commandments that were given 1,500 years before Jesus, about, they were radical. and They were a thing of beauty. It took things that at the time in the current culture were often exploited, like sex and power and money, and it showed a better way a non-destructive, non-addictive, non-exploitive way. For example, in the first culture, in, in the first century culture, adultery was not just a sin, was, it was only a sin for the woman. But in this city, it was a sin for both men and women. It was equal. It was the first city where daughters could inherit their family's wealth, not just the son's. Another example is that there's a, there's a law that talks about whoever is among you, whoever, from wherever they're from, no matter what, they're gonna have the same rights and privileges that the rest of you have. Think about how radical this was. Think about who Jesus is, who God is talking to. They were just enslaved in Egypt because they were different, because they were Hebrew. And now they are building this new holy nation. God says, yeah, the immigrants, whoever, wherever they're from, all the same rights, all the same privileges. There is no other. We are one people. This holy nation, it looks different than the world around it. It takes things that are broken and oppressive and exploited and makes them beautiful and whole. The law of God isn't what saves you. You've already been saved. The God of the universe has accepted you just as you are, and he invites you into relationship with him. And if you're willing to trust him, if you're willing to follow him, he says, you will be a part of this holy nation. You will be set apart, this new radical community that flips everything upside down. The second thing I want you to note from this passage is that God says, 
that you will be a kingdom of priests. And first of all, you're like, a whole nation of priests? Like, that's definitely different. What's the job of a, a priest? The job of the priest was to bring people to God. They were there to help bring people into God's presence, to show them, to help people see who God is. God is saying this new, beautiful, radical community is going to show the world who I am. Jesus points to this very idea in Matthew 5, 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill that cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, people will see who God is when they see you as a united community, as a city. The thing is, is that he doesn't say you each individually will be the light of the world. He is saying you together are the light of the world. He says, people will come to know me by the way they see how you live as a community, how you are different as this holy nation. Because this is gonna be a nation where where the people in it use their money in such radically different ways than those who are outside of it. That they will be radically generous, that they will leverage their resources and power to build others up, to restore, to make things right, rather than using it for their own gain, for their own comfort, to um, use to manipulate others for their own selves. Of course, it matters. It does matter. There is an individual faith. There is an individual um, relationship, of course, and that matters. But here, Jesus is talking about this holy nation, how we live together. Because the problem with the English translation in a verse like this is we don't have a different second and first person plural. So when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's not saying, you are the light of the world, you are the light of the world, you are the light of the world. The closest thing we have in English is y'all, if you're from the South. It's not you are the light of the world, y'all are the light of the world. That is how it's translated the best way, right? saying you together and only together are you the light of the world. The law is there to build a radically new, beautiful community that shows the world who God is. You know what this means? It means it is vital. I mean, it is so vital that we prioritize being deeply involved in a community of other people following Jesus. I mean, it is vital. That there is, there is no um, solo, individual, isolated faith. We are only the light of the world when we are together. God has come down and given himself. He has rescued us, delivered us, even when we didn't deserve it. He says, I've come to set you free from the things that enslave you so that you can live out your freedom in this beautiful new community, that this is what it means to live out in this freedom that doesn't exploit others, but builds them up and restores. 
and it changes the way that we see everything. Into community with other followers of Jesus, other people who believe and bow before the same king. That these things that God has called us to, it's not this solo calling, it's this calling that he has for all of us together to be a holy nation, and it cannot be done alone. Now, after God gives this prelude to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse two, where he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, he gives the very first commandment in verse three. And it's not what you might think. It's not, you know, don't lie or don't steal or something like that, right? He says in verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. This first commandment flows out of who God was and who God is and what he already had done for Israel. And you think, I mean, put yourself in, in Israel's shoes, right? They were in slavery for 400 years and God delivers them. And all the things, right? The, the plagues, the parting of the sea, all this stuff, they have been delivered. So you'd think maybe their reaction to this first command would be like, that's it, God? I mean, I can do that. I mean, do you know what you've done? You've done all this stuff that's incredible. You wrecked Egypt. You, you know, kicked Pharaoh out. You did all this stuff. You sent us this guy, Moses, who's awesome. So you'd think, man, he, they can check that one, no problem, right? No other gods before you. But the great temptation in those days was to worship these different gods that represented different things. You know, the God of the weather, that, oh man, um, we need food and, and there's, it's not raining and, and man, we need that more than anything, so we're gonna worship the God of the weather so that it may rain and we may eat and all this, right? Or I'm gonna worship the God of wealth because wealth, that's what I need more than anything. I'm gonna worship the goddess of sex and the culture at the time, that's what was so tempting. That's what they would do. They would take one of these things and they'd say, this is the most important thing. I'm gonna build my life around this thing. I'm gonna alter everything in my life around this one thing. And the thing is, is that we deal with that today. It may not have the same old-fashioned names and images that represent these different things that can pull us away from God. But the same things that they struggled with, so do we at times. And you see, God puts a commandment like this first because in a lot of ways, it's the underlying thing of all the other ones. When we are failing to live in alignment with God in an area of our lives, it's because God is not in the center. Because at the end of the day, we can say one thing with our mouths. We can know one thing in our minds. But it's totally a different thing to take a part of our lives, our whole lives, and say, God, you, not me. All of you, I trust you with everything. You are the number one thing. You are the center. You are what my life revolves around. You can take everything away as long as I have you. And there could be so many things in our lives that that is. And um, just to name a couple things, I mean, in this, in this area, 
man, work can so easily become that replacement. That man, it's all about receiving praise through how excellent, how high I achieve, how much money I make, how productive I can be. And man, I just, you know, maybe you have a hard time saying no and you have this packed schedule trying to please everyone. And it just leads you to this place that is far from where God has called you to be. Another example, you know, lying, that's one of the 10 commandments, but oftentimes the underlying thing of that is we're afraid of losing something. We're in the moment of the lie that there is something that has become more important than God and we are terrified to lose that thing. And we'll use other people, we'll exploit our power. When we feel threatened that we might lose that thing, there may be nothing that we wouldn't do to save that thing because we believe that's everything. We'll lie for it, we'll, we'll hurt others for it, anything, because we in that moment put that above God. And like a parent that sets structure and rules for their kids so they don't hurt themselves and others, so they can grow and flourish and thrive and be the best that they can be. The thing is, is as a kid, you don't always, um, in the moment, know what is going on or why. But what do parents, what do good parents say? They say, trust me, trust me, I love you. I want what is best for you. In a similar way, God is telling the Israelites, hey, you know what's more important than a set of do's and don'ts? It's knowing that the destructive effects of sin in your heart and on your life, that those things, the only way to live free of those things is to just trust me. The only way to live the way that God is calling us to live is to keep him at the center of our life. And even when we come to that place, okay, you say, Josh, okay, when I come to that place and I say, okay, I, I get it. God has set me free even when I did not deserve it. God delivered me. God says, I carried you. Okay, I get it. God carried me. I want to live out this new freedom. I want to be a part of living this new radical community. I want to be a part of that, being a light to the world. You've come to this place where you say, yes, God, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to build my life on you. I want you to be at the center. And even when we come to that place, how can we keep that up? How do we keep living that way? You say, Josh, that's great. But what about when I fail? What about when I fall short? Maybe I don't even wanna try because I know that I will fail. And this leads to our last point. We're gonna jump forward a few chapters to chapter 24. And something weird is happening here, okay? In verse seven, we see that Moses, he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. So he took all these commandments, all these things. He read it to the people. And you know what the people said? And put yourself there. They're reading all this law and all these things. And they said, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant 
that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Notice, they say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. You're thinking like, are you crazy? Man, if I was sitting there, I'd be like, um, okay, maybe some of the time, or like, I'll do my best, or, um, you know, that last part, God, like, okay, I'm kind of on board with that, but like, come on, can we, 75%, okay, like, come on. But no, they said, we will obey everything. And of course, that's what God wanted them to say. And then what does Moses do? He does a weird thing. He sprays blood on them. You see, in their culture, as odd as it may seem, they didn't sign a contract by signing a piece of paper, by, I don't know, putting your thumbprint on something these days, however you sign things. The way you signed a contract in those days was that you acted out the penalty of breaking the contract. So what you might do is cut a piece of an animal in half and walk in between the pieces and say, if I don't do what I promised today, I may be cut into pieces. So when Moses sprays them with blood, they are saying, if we do not do everything we've promised, everything in that covenant, may our blood be shed. So then what happens? I'm gonna summarize it for you. In verses nine through 11, we see the leaders of Israel go up the mountain and to their amazement, they see God. They are brought into some kind of closeness and intimacy with God. They see his feet, it's like indescribable. They're like talking about sapphire. They just can't even describe what they're seeing. And they eat and they drink and they fellowship. And in the culture at the time, to bring someone in and give them hospitality in your home was the ultimate act of fellowship and friendship and intimacy. And we see this scene at the top of the mountain where they've encountered God. It's in this scene where we see that they receive this blessing of the covenant, that God draws them near. They say, we will obey everything, and God brings them in. And they say, yeah, God, we're all in. God says, okay. And they eat and drink in the presence of God, and this relationship between God and humanity is restored. Remember we started in the garden where they were in God's presence, but then that was lost, sin separated and fractured that. But now, with this covenant, and they said yes, that they are restored in intimacy with God. But as long as they don't break the covenant, you know that whole sprinkling of the blood thing. How can this be? They cannot possibly obey everything. What happens when they fail? You see, all they had to do was say yes, and they could receive the fullness of God. Why? It's because years later, God's promise would be fulfilled in Jesus. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he lifted up a cup and he said something to the disciples that would have sparked what they knew about Exodus and they knew that story so well. Jesus says to them, this is the blood of the covenant. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. 
And on the cross, Jesus' blood was shed. And the penalty that was meant for us, meant for those who had fallen short of the covenant, that penalty Jesus bore on the cross. Jesus, the son of God, the only one who didn't break the covenant, and he willingly took our place and bore our brokenness on the cross. So that, why? So we could receive God's blessing, so that we could eat and drink in the presence of God, so we can be where we were designed to be in intimacy with him. Not only did God say, when we did not deserve it, I see you in your loneliness. I see you in your oppression. I see you in your suffering. I will deliver you. I carried you. Not only did God say that, not only are we free from the things that enslave us, but because of God's grace, we can continually live out this beautiful life of freedom that God has for us. We can live as a holy nation that is different, that is restorative, that doesn't use the things that we have to build ourselves up, but uses the things we have to be a part of God's redeeming and restoring work in the world. It means that God's law, you know what it means for God's law? What do you know what it means for God's calling on our lives? It means that it's not something to be afraid of. It's a gift. It's a blessing to be able to live this abundant life that God has for us. Just like a parent does not give up on a child, when we fall down, when we fail, what does a good parent do? A good parent brings you back again and again. It says, I love you. I love you. Trust me, obey me. I want what is best for you. I want you to thrive. I want you to be a part of something much greater. You will fall down, you will fail, but Jesus has already taken the curse of the covenant upon himself. Before anything God accepted you, he delivered you. And we are now invited to be in relationship with him, to be this radical new community that changes the world. Not isolated lone ranger Christians, but a united people. Does not require perfection. All you have to do is say yes and place God at the center of your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. God, that when we, um, God, when we are in our darkest moment, when we feel like we're surrounded, God, God, that it was in though that moment that you said, I will carry you, I will deliver you. So God, we want to live in your freedom, God. We want to live this life of freedom, God, that's radically different. God, we wanna be this holy nation that you've called us to be to change the world, God. But we can only do it through the power of your spirit. We can only do it with your presence in us. So God, unite us together, God. 
God, take away the things that threaten to enslave us because you have the power. So God, we give you everything. We give you every part of our lives, even that part of our life that we wanna hold on to so badly. We think that that is what we need, but God, you are what we need. So God, we trust you. We are all in. Pray all this in Jesus' name.